0: Something doesn't seem quite right. Welcome to Not Quite Right. My name is Ed, and I'm Amanda. On today's show, we'll be reviewing the album Detour De Force by the Bare Naked Ladies. You and we'll be talking about songwriting. What makes a good song? What makes good lyrics? And uh, what lessons can we as fiction writers learn from songwriters? But first, a reminder about the Not Quite Right Prize for Flash Fiction, which is happening in July. Go to the website if you haven't already, notquiterightpodcast.com to sign up. We've had a really good response so far. Mm -hmm.
1: And I just wanted to also say hi to our new listeners. So those of you who've signed up for the comp, and I hope that you stick around and enjoy what we have to offer.
0: The response has been amazing and we're now quietly shitting ourselves.
1: <laughs> We've got some while reading we to do. The numbers. Lucky we have... enjoy reading.
0: That's right. <laughs> anyway, we're very much looking forward to it and honestly, the more the merrier.
1: Absolutely. Share it with your friends, your writing group. We want to see you all in there. Let's do it.
0: Well, speaking of writing competitions, we both entered the NYC Midnight Microfiction Competition, New mm-hmm. York City Midnight, mm-hmm. last weekend, which I really enjoyed.
1: You know, they say like the best way to get over a breakup is to just move on really quickly. Like I was really sad because we've been talking about the 250 word comp that I entered and I was feeling really like confident about it, which is probably my first sign to worry. Yeah. But yes, I did not win. I did not place, did not get an honorable mention. And so we launched straight into the 100 word comp. Just to uh, make up for it. I
0: think they do that on purpose. So you've got no time to (laughs) grieve. You're just back into it.
1: No. How many stages? Five stages of grief. None of that. It's like a
0: gambler's mentality. Just double on nothing, oh, put it all on 100%. red, exactly. try again. <laughs> but I, I really like the 100 word format.
1: It's totally weird. Isn't it's, it weird? It's
0: weird. It's not even a story, right? No. It's 100 words, it's no. a paragraph. But at the same time, I'm surprised by how much like rewriting you can do yeah. on 100 words oh, God, just to yeah. get it perfect. What? More. You've got to squeeze, More rewriting. You've got to squeeze everything out of those 100 words. Each sentence has to be perfect. Perfectly polished.
1: Exactly, And the thing that I struggle with most is that it has to make sense. Mm. You know what I mean? Like in your head, especially when you start. So for me, like if it's 100 words, you're going to overwrite that. Yeah. In, you know, 99% of cases, you're going to blow over the 100 words and keep going even if you're trying to be concise. So you have to edit it back. And so that's the challenge is like, well, what am I losing here? And most of it, even with 250 words, Mm. I was struggling to – make my story clear to readers and I was finding it interesting people's responses to what I was writing and the the gaps they filled in themselves. Like there's more gaps when you've only got a hundred words. So you're really like trusting the reader to understand what you're even putting there.
0: Yeah. There's no backstory there. No backstory. There's barely story. And you've got to choose just just a moment, like a moment in time that you can kind of reflect on. And I think your story did that quite well. There was a, a portrayal of a character Indirectly through what was happening in the story, and just kind of a moment in time that was same with yours. I would say,
1: like you, literally encapsulated. I won't yeah. say any more than that. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, but mm. yeah, like you really do. You're trying to just evoke a feeling very quickly. You're mm. trying to convey some sense of character without actually really introducing your character whatsoever. Mm. It's it's good fun. I would recommend it, especially to anyone who's you know, in a bit of a writing rut or someone who's trying to write a novel and just finding themselves just, you know, getting stuck over and over again or feeling the pressure to maybe write something longer. If you can find a comp like this, or even just if you're self-motivated to find like a writing prompt that you enjoy to pursue that and just do something short, Mm. that's fun. I know it's energized me to do this stuff and I would recommend it to other people who find themselves in that situation.
0: Yeah, and it's something you can actually do in 24 hours without really stressing about it.
1: No, like, I mean, sometimes it comes to you very, very quickly. And even if it doesn't, when it's 100 words, even if you're slogging away at it and it's painful and it's blood from a stone, even so, you'll get it in 24 hours, you know, and it might not be your best work, but you'll have something complete.
0: Each episode, Amanda and I take turns recommending each other books or movies or, in this case, music that we may not have chosen for ourselves. It's a segment we call Get Wrecked. Today's recommendation comes from Amanda. It's the album Detour de Force by the band Naked Ladies, a band that's famous for a few hits in the late 90s, uh, but this is their 13th and most recent album. Anything you want to say about the album?
1: Well, I guess what I love about them and what I think is relevant here is that they're a band for word nerds. If you love words and wordplay and puns, which I love, and dad jokes, like they're full of that. Like and if you will just enjoy it for that reason alone. But also they're amazing musicians, I believe, um, and very versatile musicians. And so for me, having been a fan since the nineties, there's there's never a dull moment. Like it's not all the same. You've got stuff for any time of your life, any mood that you're in, there will be music that's appropriate. So I've loved them for that reason. I've got a lot of happy memories and a lot of like events in my life that I tie to songs and listening to those songs just transports me immediately back to those times. So I'm a lifelong fan and uh, I'll be interested to hear what you think about this particular album, which
0: I would say is probably not their best. How do you think it ranks? Like have you listened to or the, the, I guess their heyday was late 90s, right?
1: In terms of like popularity, yes. I would say in terms of what I love about them, their heyday was before that. And they peak and trough. Like, I think every album has songs that are amazing, that I love, and then duds. Like, I would say for every album, there's probably two songs that are just iconic to me, and then at least two songs that are duds. So, like, it's very much, it's a spectrum there to choose from. And there's probably a couple of eras of this band, too. So, the era where we had one week. That was the Stephen Page era. So Stephen Page was a founding member
0: of the band. Who... What was his role? Was he the singer? Or...
1: Oh, yeah. He was lead singer, songwriter. Like basically him and Ed Robertson were the key members of the band initially. And then, you know, there was some scandal and drama as there always is in these situations and they ended up parting ways and Stephen Page went on to do his own thing, which I think was a loss to the band. I'm a big Stephen Page fan. I think he was amazing. And he brought a bit of shade to the light, I think, in in their albums. And so there's, I guess, the post Stephen Page era and we're in that now. And so it's very different to perhaps what they were known for and what they were producing in their earlier days. And it is hard for us old fans, I guess, to get over that time because it was so good. They were such a good combination. But, yeah, we're working with different band members now and um, they bring different things to the table.
0: Okay, so we're going to be actually listening to the album and reacting to each track. So it'll be interesting to see which ones you like and which ones I like, and if they're the same songs. That's assuming you like some of them. That is assuming <laughs> I like some. So I, I listened to this album, I think now about five times because mm-hmm. I, I wanted to not just kind of give it a cursory listen yes. and be like, no, mm-hmm. you can't. I think I think when you whenever you listen to. Well, whatever your taste in music is, there are things that you gravitate towards that you find easy to listen to. Mm-hmm. And when something is not your normal style, I think you need to kind of train your brain mm-hmm. to understand it. And so you need to listen to it several times. So I, w- I went down that road. But yeah, let's let's kick it well, off. Well, that's a good start. <laughs> yeah.
1: You, you just listen to something once it's and an then be like, taste it's, not, it's not for
0: me. I mean, I was just thinking while you were talking, there is such a thing as dad rock. Is oh. this mom rock? <laughs> <laughs> What's dad rock, first of all? Oh, you know, it's like ACDC, say, okay. so, like things that old blokes listen to. Right,
1: okay. Excuse me. Then. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> by implication. Um, look, no, because I don't think enough people in this country love them like I do. Mm. Definitely, I guess it's from a, from a time and now you can go into Coles, my local Coles, and hear one week on the mm. – on the loudspeaker, which I do appreciate. Um, And not just one week, by the way. I've heard a couple of other of their Mm. songs being pumped out through the the speakers at various venues. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't call it Mum Rock, no. In Canada, I'm sure it is. Mm. I'm not sure that it is here.
0: All right. Well, let's kick it off with the first song called Flip.
1: I could be a little devil. <laughs> Do you want me to sing the whole album for you? <laughs> yeah,
0: we don't listen to listen to it. No, you just... don't
1: need to. It's fine.
0: <laughs> I could be a little devil, or I could be a little saint. I kind of like it in the middle. Is you is is you ain't? Nothing's indelible. Everything is sellable. Whether you're an animal or vegetable or mineral. Okay, so you seem to like the song. Yeah. What um, What do you like about it?
1: I don't know. I love it. It's positive. It's catchy. In terms of the lyrics, probably this one is not up there with the others. It's not telling a story in quite the same way. Um, it's just got that feel to it that some of their other poppier songs have.
0: Yeah, it's. it seems to me like this is kind of like a hype song to, to kick off the yeah. album, to set the mood. It's fluff.
1: Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I love it, but there's not a lot in terms of lyrics to really
0: unpack there. And it has, like, a 90s, very 90s pop feel, I think, to it. Like, it, it does remind me of their others. So like, it reminds me of the Big Bang Theory song, for example. Yeah.
1: Like, it wasn't, certainly was not my favourite song on the album.
0: It wasn't your favourite song. No, oh, look, God, I, no. I think the, the first few songs on this album feel like they're kind of front-loading oh, the hits. Like, they're trying to be, like, these are the hits. Yeah. We're, these are the songs we want to be the singles. And I read then, a like, few the critiques
1: and that's exactly what they said. Like, oh, they're very self-aware. They're putting all their hits at the front. Yeah. And it's probably true. But to me, like, that ain't it.
0: Um, one thing that I've observed of, about this album is it's complete lack of cynicism. Yeah. And I think as a listener you oh. need to be, like, you have to be a very <laughs> optimistic person, like, to connect with the optimism of this album. You I say
1: that, but, like, I would say that what I love about this is that it makes me feel optimistic when maybe I might otherwise not be. So... I don't think you could be a full-blown cynic and love this album, no. But I'm a cynic, you know. I, I would see myself as a, like, they've got some great songs actually about glass half full, glass half empty and so on. Um, but listening to this music, it makes me laugh. Mm. It's, it's joyful. I feel like you can feel the energy that it was created in. And they just do whatever the hell they want. Mm. They're just having a good time and you know that. They're not really trying to impress anyone. They don't need to. And I think there's a lot to be said for that, to just riding the wave of someone else who's having a good time.
0: Mm. A few of these songs actually reminded me of other songs. And, look, one thing I didn't like about it was the flip bit <laughs> in it, which, which just it's felt really cheesy. But it re- Oh, God, I mean, a okay. Lot this, a lot of this stuff is cheesy. A lot of it's cheesy. But it remi- do you know the Paul McCartney song Jet? No. I'll play it for you in a second, but it has the same thing. Where it goes like,
1: Jet. Well, um, sorry, hashtag fun fact. Mm-hmm. Paul McCartney was asked, like, I think, I don't know, in 2008 or something like that, like, which current band do you like to listen to? Yep. Like, what, what are you listening to now that you love? And he said the Bare Naked Ladies. Really? Yes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting. So does that change your opinion? I know you revere the Beatles. I do. Um, oh, yeah. And he said, and in fact he said, and let me quote it for you, I don't think John and myself ever had the sort of range they do.
0: Right. Yeah. That's surprising. And in 2008 as well.
1: Yeah. They were his favourite current musicians. This is my dad's kind of music, you know. Maybe that's why it resonates with me. Like, I love this shit. And maybe that's why it
0: resonates with Paul McCartney. Maybe.
1: Hmm. He's like, oh, that sounds familiar.
0: Okay, so the next song is called Good Life. It for and sisters, you don't miss this
1: so tell me, um, what's that song about to you?
0: Okay, so I was going to ask because the song to me is a, I guess it comes across as like a reflection on... Fame and the life of, like, you know, the, the singer or the, the songwriter. Mm. And, you know, maybe there is some emptiness about it and, and some regrets and that kind of thing. But I wonder some of the references, like, I wouldn't have gotten to a fistfight that night. I don't know if they're real references or if there's a, a backstory behind this. Well, this is
1: the thing, and this is a huge question mark for mm. me as a fan, because I would say that I mentioned earlier that there was like a pre steven Page and a post Steven Page era. Yeah. And there was a bit of scandal in there. He he was caught with drugs. You know, he was arrested for drug possession. Pretty standard, like, I don't know, musician (laughs) trajectory or whatever. Um, But I guess that was at least a catalyst for the band breaking up. But what's interesting is that we don't know much about that. So I'm a fan. I don't really know what went down. Like, Mm. I know that he was arrested. That was public knowledge, I guess. But because they're so Canadian and lovely, like no one's ever bitched about each other and so you don't really know Mm. what's happened. And in this song, which you say it's sort of about fame and and I I hear this song and I'm just speculating as a listener, but I hear this song as basically the history of the band Mm -hmm. and the history of the band from Ed's perspective. And so when he says... With the benefit of hindsight, I might not have had the fist fight that night. To me, I'm like, did you punch Stephen Payne? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's what I hear. Yeah. And, and I wonder about that. And I don't know that because no one's ever said that. And uh, so to me, that's like high drama. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like, oh, tell me more because they never really have. They've all been very uh, respectful. They've all sort of always been quite kind about what happened with the band breakup. Um and there was some acrimonious stuff that went down, but it was all very much done, I would say, in private, um, compared to say a Jada Pinkett Smith kind of approach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I don't know. I speculate that he punched Stephen Page, but I don't know. So if you listen to that as just a casual listener, it means nothing. Mm. But if you're a fan and you listen to that, that's like oh shit like here's the tea like you know right. that's exciting I was like whoa they're finally saying something about what happened but I'm again I'm speculating I don't actually know okay. I may never know
0: I think when I first uh, heard that line it sounded I think a lot of these songs have a similar feel like a country feel country yeah it's a country yeah and the kind of fist fighting thing it, it mm-hmm. came across as like oh this is like a country music type okay. trope, mm-hmm. like oh, I'm, a, I'm a man, I got into a fist fight, I got regrets, like that kind of I don't of know. I angle. feel like
1: you can take most of this stuff pretty literally yeah. in my experience, yeah. I do, I get you. There's definitely, and in, especially in a couple of the songs in this album there's some real country music influence coming through, but there was a fist fight. Mm. I will tell you that. I don't know who it was with. I'm speculating. I think I'm right, but who am I to say?
0: I think just listening to it now, we didn't listen to the whole song, but there was like a, a rap bit to this song yeah. <laughs> that is not that it's not that great. <laughs> it is white
1: about? man rap. I don't it's, know what it's... you are expecting. Had
0: the plateful, so I'm grateful. Had the gateful, stayed sold platinum. Everywhere I'm at, sun Venus to the rafters. Laughter, happily ever after. Now I'm sat here looking back there. One I think they could have left that bit out. I don't know, lyrically, if there is some critical piece of information in there they wanted to put in, but um, that wasn't a great rap. I'll say that much.
1: (laughs) I mean, the the message was there, but yes, it didn't necessarily have to be conveyed that way. I mean, I feel like a lot of their stuff, and I know Ed himself has said, like, I write to impress three people, which Mm -hmm. is the other members of the band. Mm -hmm. And I think probably that's the bar and that's all they need to achieve. And I think you do hear that and there's something about that that's really nice to me And I think when you are a fan You can embrace that Because you, you sort of know You expect it for a start And you sort of know some of the intricacies Of how that dynamic works
0: Okay Track three is called New Disaster Stay tuned for scary monsters Watch out for rising tides But first a word from sponsors Might be a mess but it's a hell of a good time Okay, so we're talking about cynicism and probably this is the, <laughs> oh, the moment in the album that um, gets a little bit more cynical than the yes. the upbeat openers Well, there. It's,
1: it's very upbeat cynicism, but yes.
0: I thought this is an interesting song in terms of the themes. Like it's kind of anti-capitalist, but more, of, more it's anti, I guess, fear-mongering media mm. um, in the way that it's used for clicks and also as a political tool.
1: Yeah, I think it's the 24-hour news cycle kind Mm. of criticism that they're showing here.
0: Yeah, and it's very overt criticism. You don't really need to read between the lines. No.
1: I just wanted to point out that, like, no one else could use the word prestidigitation in a song (laughs) and get away with it, but, like, you just bop along. (laughs) (laughs) You have to Google it afterwards, but you bop along. (laughs) There's some good lines in this song. Like, I, I mean, this song resonates with me anyway because I guess I share that political mm. viewpoint or that viewpoint of anti-24-hour news cycle kind of BS. And we say this having just <laughs> been watching the, the live coverage of the coronation. Mm. Um, but, yeah, there's a line like, we've got to pay the hangman, but that don't mean we got to give him all that rope or mm. all this rope. And that kind of line really resonates with me. And I think this is them at their best when they do that, when they use their wordplay or when Ed in particular uses the wordplay to make a really strong point. And it's my kind of poetry, like this, this esoteric poetry where you've got to sort of, I don't know, make your own meaning. And then there's this more literal kind of pun in joke kind of stuff that I guess if you are able to put two and two together, then you will understand it. But there's also that Billy Joel vibe.
0: I was actually going to say that that bridge part. Yeah. was straight out of We Didn't Start the Fire. Yes. Midnight ticking down, time to turn the ship around. Everybody feeding you, anti-social media. Fear, fear, disappear. We don't need you back in here. Save the forest, save the Throw the CEO in jail.
1: Oh, love <laughs> We Didn't Start the Fire. So, like, that speaks to me as well. And... It's not the same. It's its own thing, but there's a real strong link there. Yeah. I mean, We Didn't Start the Fire all these years later. That moves me. Yeah, it makes me want to do something. I don't know what. I've never done anything as a result of listening to that <laughs> song, but like it makes me want to. It
0: wanna. makes you want to go. <laughs> yeah,
1: I really just clench my fist yeah. really hard, like super hard when I listen to that song.
0: <laughs> so the next song, track four, is called Big Backyard. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All I ever wanted was a big backyard Where me and my brothers could play our guitars Gaze in wonder at the moon Alright, so the pendulum, the cynicism pendulum Has swung all the way to the other, in the other direction <laughs> And, I mean, the, the first time I heard this song I was kind of waiting for a twist Like waiting mm. for a, oh, no. but No, that's no twist But no, it, it's, it's a very sincere song And you, what you see is what you get Dude just wants a big backyard <laughs>
1: I mean, to be fair, like he stated that up front. (laughs) (laughs) All I ever wanted was a big (laughs) backyard. No, you're right. Um, Look, this is a Kevin Hearn song. Mm. So Kevin was not an original member of the band. He's certainly been a very long time member of the band. And I don't vibe with Kevin Hearn. I wish him all the best, but he's got this folksy sort of side that I respect but don't click with in the same way that I click with basically all the puns and the daggy kind of in jokes and stuff like that. Like Kevin is very sincere. He takes himself, it seems to me, he takes himself very seriously. And um, so this song, it's nice. Like I'm happy to listen to it, but it's it's not my jam at
0: all. It reminded me of another Paul McCartney song, not directly, but um, there's a Paul McCartney song called Heart of the Country. Okay. Um, and it reminded me of that because it's, Also, just a sincere song about, like, I just want to live in the country. But I I vibe with that much more. And I think it's just because it's much more of a bop. It's it's more upbeat. And he kind of really just embraced it. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think for some background for Kevin Hearn, like, he's had some really bloody tough times. Like, he's gone through his own cancer scare He has one daughter who is severely disabled, nonverbal daughter, um, and he sings about her and, like, obviously his life has been greatly influenced by the challenges that he's faced at various times in his life. So I fully respect him for that. Like, I guess it's one of those things where, like, you do you. You know what I mean? Like, I really respect him and I really think that what he does is wonderful and I think that that's great, but it doesn't, connect with me in the same way that the other stuff does. And Mm. I think that this has been something that's always been interesting about the Naked Ladies, which is that there is not one sound you can pin to them. Like certainly there's sounds that you associate with them, like the white white guy rap kind of thing and the poppy kind of stuff, but that's not them. That's just one part.
0: Yeah. I was going to say actually uh, talking about this album as a whole – One thing that I did like about it is there's a lot of diversity in sounds and styles on this album. It's not one note kind of all the time. I mean Mm. there are similarities between a lot of the songs, but they do try to kind of experiment with different styles and different sounds.
1: I feel like that's been their whole career and that's what I like too. And, I mean, I think it's their downfall at times. Like I think they experiment and fail and I think we all do, you know, as writers, we experiment and fail and I think they publish their failures, like I mean, maybe failures are mm. a bit strong. but and again, it's a matter of personal taste because what I think of as being a weakness in maybe a Kevin Hearn song, that's what someone else is there for. You mm. know what I mean? Um And certainly, I guess there is this divide between the people who love them when Stephen Page was part of the band. and And it's a very, very, very different sound. You know, he had this real, strongly melancholic vibe that he Mm. brought to the band and you're talking about cynicism and how that's kind of absent in this album and it really is and I feel like there was that shade that sometimes the light needed and so if you go back in time there was this really nice balance between maybe the light and shade that isn't there anymore and I think there is a little bit of melancholy and a bit of sort of sadness in the Kevin Hearn songs and so on but It's not dark. It's Mm. like still quite light and airy. And, and I mean, in my view, that's a weakness. Like, I feel like it could do with a bit more
0: of the shade. Okay, we're up to track five, and it's called Live Well. So this was another song that really reminded me of other songs. Mm. Um, So right at the start, that sounds a lot like R.E.M. Okay. Just the instrumentation and even his voice in Mm. this sounds a little bit like Michael Stipe. Okay. Um, And then the chorus hits. Cause I'm alive. Doesn't mean I lived well. And that sounded a lot like Neil Young to me, just the instrumentation. There was a lot of harmonics on the guitars and even again, the voice, very nearly young. And overall, like if we're talking about like a country vibe, this is the country song. Yes, this is the country um, song. It's smoking, absolutely. drinking, and driving. <laughs> Pesky. Whiskey. Do they the say back whiskey? Of a wagon. <laughs> 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 I'm sure they I do. Think I sure <laughs> think Yeah. So what's the story with like the country vibe here? I just,
1: well, this is the thing. I feel like they just do what they want. Yeah. You know, they're musicians. It's like. For me, when I'm writing, I'm just taking influences from everywhere. And you mm-hmm. know most of my influences come from absolute straight-up trash like yeah. that I love, you know. And you're just filtering all of this and then producing your own thing. And mm-hmm. I think when you're a rich musician, which I'm assuming they are, you're able to kind of just do what you want. And I feel like them more than others, it's like they just don't give a shit what anyone thinks. Mm-hmm. Like they're just very mature. Like they've matured beyond Trying to make money, or first and foremost, they just want to do what they want, yeah. And the money comes secondary. And I, I have a huge amount of respect for that. And so having like a country music influence, it's just because that's what happened to be influencing them at the time. That they,
0: but <laughs> yeah, I, I guess uh, also the the lyrics. So the lyrics. Are, this is a, another song that is kind of about regrets, yeah, um, in a very country music way. And but I, I don't know if this is. I guess, an authentic experience that they're – Again, the I feel like you should assume that, yes, it or, is. Or or if they're trying to ch- channel some kind of um, no. country vibe. Because No,
1: definitely he's not. Talking, not with these guys. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's
0: talking like times that I've been out of my truck, smoking, drinking, I've lost my licence, I've been in fights, these kind of things. Yep. I don't know if that's the kind of – these are the kind of people we're talking about. I, I feel um,
1: like you can safely assume this is all genuine. Okay. Yeah. Um, You know, like this band has been around for three decades and I think, well, actually, I think they knew each other in at least high school, if not younger, but didn't form a band until a little bit later on. But I have no doubt in my mind that they were just, yeah, he's basically saying I lived a white trash life (laughs) a (laughs) bit there. And he did. I mean, it was brief because, I mean, they didn't find fame immediately, but certainly now, like they have this song from back in the day, like one of their very early songs, If I Had a Million Dollars. Mm. and like they have a million dollars yeah. now you know and so it's kind of funny to look back on on that stuff and this album in particular felt very nostalgic and very much telling the story of themselves and how they got to where they're at that's how i read it anyway
0: yeah okay so the next song is called flat earth <laughs> So this song, like f- the first impressions, it reminded me a lot of like the Big Bang Theory yep. theme. It's got that kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Lyrically, I Nerdy had vibe. I had some problems with this song. I guess the, the scenario he's describing in the hairdressers mm-hmm. and then the comparison with the flat earth, okay. it didn't quite make sense. So did no. I miss something?
1: I f- well, I don't know. Mm. Did I pick up something that wasn't there? Like mm. to me, what I love about this album, like the detour de force, the whole concept is that it's very much a pandemic album. Mm-hmm. And so there's some songs on here that I believe are very tied in with that and this is a really good example of that in my mind. And I'm not speaking as obviously the songwriter here and and he can speak for himself, but I have read interviews with him about this song in particular and this is a literal thing that happened to Ed Robertson. So he went to get his hair cut, there's a woman a couple of chairs down. My understanding is that she's spouting bullshit about Mm. like vaccines and, you know, conspiracy theories and he's just there scoffing.
0: Yeah, that, um, well, that thinking, makes a lot more sense.
1: Yeah, and so when he says, I might as well believe in Flat Earth, mm. like, she, she's not a Flat Earther, um, but he's saying she may as well be. Like, it's this conspiracy theory kind of stuff, and she's trying to sell him on it, and she's being very forceful in her opinions, and he's basically saying, no, I'm not interested. And like I think this experience resonates with a lot of people, mm. um, whether on one side or the other.
0: Yeah, yeah. Look, I didn't pick up on that detail. i don't, just looking through the lyrics, and I don't think it's mentioned. No,
1: and look, maybe I'm reading into. No, no. It more no I think you're I right. Be. I think
0: that's that's definitely the interpretation, especially when it was released. Um, it may be more front and center, but um, I think with that gap filled, it makes a lot more sense. There is a a verse here. I think it's the bridge that I really don't like the, mm. the lyrics to. Mm. Because it reads like just awful poetry. Yeah. Time is a mystery (laughs) entwined in history (laughs) that shines so brilliantly. But my epiphany Epiphany. is signs are missed (laughs) on me.
1: (laughs) Okay. All right. But I see your signs are missed on me and I raise you a, um, I told her my sign was stop. And she should quit while she's behind. Mm -hmm. That line I love. Like she's talking about like astrology and whatever and he's like, my sign is stop. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to use that. (laughs) Even though I'm a cancer. (laughs) (laughs) Classic cancer. Anyway, you know, this, it's a simple song. It's a poppy song. There's nothing like, I guess, redeemably like deep about this song, but I do love that it speaks of a time and I, Mm. I feel like, Yeah, it it sort of resonated with me for that reason because, you know, I I feel like in in the writing world, at least initially, there was this kind of hesitation to deal with the pandemic. It's like, oh, we don't write about that. Like don't put that in your books. And maybe we're even now far enough beyond it that we can, but the fact that a band was singing about like Mm. what's happening right now at the time was meaningful to me. You weren't hearing a lot of that. You were still hearing like, oh, she broke up with me. You know, and yeah. that wasn't what our shared experience was. Certainly people were still breaking up with each other, but, like, our shared experiences was something very different and it's such a huge experience that it you feel like it needed to be recorded and documented mm. and, and this was one way of doing it in a way that felt very real and sort of day-to-day, you know.
0: I think we'll see a wave of oh, pandemic-related totally. kind of art in a couple of years. Totally. There'll be some no- nostalgia about it because right now everyone – has just been sick of it. Like, Well, when everyone that was end? just
1: in it too and yeah. like having their stresses and like, oh, I'm not producing art because I'm like stressed out of my mind because I've lost my job or, I, mm. you know, ticket sales have gone down the toilet if yeah. you're a musician because concerts can't happen. So I would imagine that a lot of artists were just experiencing it and that is going to come out at some point.
0: Okay, track seven is called Here Together. And while we're here together I wouldn't miss a second of the fun. Nothing lasts forever. You just say whatever and you change the song. The feel of this song reminded me a lot of a band called Wilco, who are an alternative country okay. band. So kind of like a mixture of alternative music and, and country. It sounded kind of like some of their earlier songs. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that the lyrics here were a bit less direct and a bit more enigmatic. I mean there's clearly a story being told of of enjoying the moment. But exactly what's happened in this relationship is not laid out. Like you've got you've got to read between the lines, unless you're unless you're a fan and you know Mm. Okay, so what's the story?
1: It's about his daughter. And it's it's to, I read some reviews and honestly like it broke my heart. I was reading some reviews of the album just before I came here tonight and they were scathing and it was mm. really hurting my soul but I was mainly because I was agreeing with most of what they were saying <laughs> and I'm like, yes, but I love them. It's like I love them anyway. I, yeah. you don't, I don't care, you know. But there was a blogger who had commented on this song and said, oh, this song sucks and like basically oh he's talking about his lover and I'm like no it's not it's his daughter and I tell my daughters all the time because I play this song in the car um they listen to bare naked ladies a lot Mm -hmm. more than they may, may want to although I am slowly corrupting them and I say to them all the time this is my song for you and to me it's just this most beautiful song about children growing up and trying to capture the moment and trying to not let it slip away and to appreciate it when they're young because they're growing up so fast and so um, the line he says you said don't miss me much mm. uh, so that's his daughter she was going to like a summer camp and she said don't miss me much you know and she went to the summer camp and he wrote this whole song about it basically which I just think is really beautiful um, and so I find it really moving and there's this part of the song later when he talks about her gliding across the floor and it takes his breath away and I just picture my daughters on their mm. wedding day or whatever. <laughs> like it's a bit cliche but I guess it's not sung about a lot and yet it's felt so often this feeling of like nostalgia before it's even gone of your children growing up. And I would say too, so this is a Jim Craigen song so he's written this song um, and I always thought of him in the past as just getting like thrown a bone every album like yeah. oh okay jim righto you can have a song you know and they give him a song and the one that sticks in my mind is there's a song on an earlier album i think it's called spider in my room and it's literally just him singing <laughs> about a spider in his room and it, like which just makes me feel like he is a massive stoner and i can only assume that they mm. all are and i'm sorry if that's slander although it is legal in canada so it's fine but um and so I've always sort of found his songs like irritating, like just skip this and get to the mm. good stuff. And yet on this album, this song and the other one written by him, in a rare moment I loved both of them and this one in particular and it was like this maturity of his songwriting that, okay, we're not talking about spiders in rooms anymore in the corner of the room, we're talking about your daughter and and yep. it's much more resonant for me. So.
0: So the next track, track eight, is called Roll Out, and I think this is probably my least favourite song <laughs> on the album. We're going to roll out, take over this town. We're going to kill it till the sun comes up. We're going to roll out, it's about to go down. If you think I'm kidding, you can kiss my dust. I can see you. <laughs> All right. I think from the moment it opens, I'm out. Like... <laughs>
1: I get it I did when I said I was listening Oh sorry, reading some other commentary about the album I read that someone talked about this as a Shania Twain moment Yeah, absolutely, (laughs) completely And it is, it's very cheesy, very cliche But like, and? Good Like, I love Shania Twain
0: It's beyond cheesy It is like, I mean, come on The the kiss my dust line is just (laughs) you've, You've given up at that point
1: Oh look, I don't know You're right you're not wrong. And this is the thing. When I was reading the reviews and I'm like, oh, you're right. Like I, I had enjoyed it up to that point. They really spoiled it for me. So I'm willing to forgive a lot. But, yeah, maybe not this one.
0: <laughs> Track nine is called Bylaw. Because there's a bylaw, a bylaw, and I can start work at seven. There's a bylaw. So the thing with this song is it's like a comedy song. <laughs> it's what you'd find on on like a comedy album.
1: But it's the straight man singing the comedy <laughs> song <laughs> so without weird. the fall guy.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of. I mean, it's kind of cute. Um, and there's a like there's a pun like by a law and by a law.
1: Yeah. Do you know what's really funny? Again, reading the commentary on this, um, someone had re- referenced Tina Fey's commentary about Alanis Morissette's "Jagged Little Pill," mm-hmm. where she said, um, Alanis, like." Not everything in your journal has to be a song. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, like, Kevin, like, not everything in your journal has yeah. to be a song. It's very like Karen vibes. No offense to, mm. to the beloved Karen's. No, in my but life. like,
0: no one wants to get woken up in seven. I get it. They don't.
1: And this is the thing, though. Like, I don't know. Like, not everything needs to be an epic anthem. No, no. And no, I love fine. that this is just like. Yep. Yes, this is just a little tiny annoying thing and now I've got a s- song to like back it up.
0: It's kind of cute. I mean, there's a bridge where he's like seven eleven. 11 I don't know. <laughs> it's not for me. Listen,
1: Kevin is not my context. fave. I did say this already. You know, he's, he's not my vibe. Uh, no. Although... Uh, There's a song coming up of his that I did love. Mm -hmm. It's This one, I don't know, it's completely ridiculous. It's just a bit of fun. I don't know if you want to read too deeply into it.
0: Okay, then let's listen to the next song called God Forbid. God forbid you and I ever find better words to describe how we can't So this is an interesting one, I think, like lyrically, because I'm not quite sure exactly how to nail it down. Mm. So I I think the first listen I was thinking, well, this is kind of about lack of communication, about fobbing things off that you don't understand or want to talk about and just saying, oh, God forbid, like, I don't want to just deal with that. Mm. Um, But there is obviously like a part there where he's talking about, like, I don't believe he exists, but I still say, God forbid. So I'm not sure if there is something about struggling with religion or like trying to find religion as a source of kind of understanding or hope and not being able to.
1: Well, I guess I I put my own meaning onto it. And again, like, I don't have any reason to believe this from the band themselves. This is just me and my interpretation. But I, again, took this as a really a COVID pandemic song. So the whole message, and it is like a secular message, I guess, like, I don't believe in God, but I still say God forbid about bad things happening. And I guess I resonate with that. I am not a religious person. Um, I have a religious background. You know, I went to Catholic schools, um, but I'm not a religious person. But there's something comforting, I guess, in that history that you still connect to regardless. And so even to saying something like, God forbid, whether you imbue a certain meaning on it or not, you might still connect with that idea. And I guess like I had in my mind this whole scenario where he's singing to someone far away like a child like in college or something like that and saying like I hope nothing bad is going to happen to you. We're so far apart and there's actually nothing I can do about it right now if something were to happen to you. Mm. And whether that's true or not, that's the meaning I took basically that if someone is disconnected from you physically, you know, in another place in the world. There's very little you can do except just hope for the best. And yeah. I guess when you're desperate, you go that step further and whether you're religious or not, you might start to pray or you might start to, I guess, I don't know, reach for something a little bit more to try and feel like you're in control of the situation when, when you're really not. And if you call it God, that's just because of your upbringing or whatever, but you're reaching out for something maybe
0: a little bit more. All right, track 11, Paul Chambers. I've always seen what's beside you I love the way you put your lemons on glass Remember all the nights when we would sit um, So look, I think this is probably my favourite song. Oh, I
1: mean. what a surprise. I'm
0: a sucker for the like the jazz. That Rhodes piano. Mm-hmm. Um The lyrics are fine. Um, oh, jeez, like glowing the,
1: praise of your favourite song home. on the album. There's
0: like Paul Chambers <laughs> plays the changes and now we're going through changes. Like it's, it's nice.
1: What um, I got a very distinct vibe off of, mm. of this and I don't remember if you remember my old boss. Um, great guy, but he used to just a little bit overshare about how he'd bought this hot tub and how him and his wife used to spend time in the hot oh, tub. Yeah. And this song just gives me that vibe. Like I love the song. It's a sweet song. But there's a little bit of oversharing going on that I'm not comfortable with, like that I feel like I've been invited into
0: the hot tub with this couple
1: (laughs) and I'm not cool with it. So there's that. But I do love the song.
0: Do you think these are like double entendres? I love the way you put your lemon on the glass.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, this This comes from the guy who sang, there's a spider in my room. There's a spider in my room So no, I don't, thankfully Think that's a double entendre. <laughs> um, this is becoming excruciating for
0: me So let's Good. carry on Alright, well we're nearly at the end You'll be pleased to hear I will. We're up to track 12 of The National Park Far and away the time will slip I'm so glad we went on that trip With all the others afraid of the dark Lying awake in the national park. This is a similar song in many ways to Big Backyard, in that like what you see is what you get. He's remembering a a holiday, essentially.
1: Well, I would assume
0: so. To to the national park, Um, and he sees a rhinoceros. And now, when he's back in the real world, he's reminiscing about the beauty of nature.
1: I don't know. Like to me, absolutely it's about the beauty of nature, Mm. but there's a very strong undertone here of, I guess, criticism of the destruction of the natural habitats of creatures. So, you know, there's this line about the rhinoceros, you know, that it's the only one left in the wild. Mm. And he says in the wild is a thousand miles of national park. So it's not really the wild, Mm. is it? So I guess that's the whole point of this, um, this idea that, I guess we kid ourselves. We think, you know, we, go, we might go on a trip yep. <laughs> to the national park and kid ourselves, oh, wow, it's a rhinoceros. But, like, it's basically a glorified zoo. Yeah. And I don't know. I found this song very, I guess, melancholy, very wistful, like this idea that it's all sort of shrinking. I find yeah. that really moving. And it's a simple message and it's not a new message. But I would say this is one of my favourite songs on the album, which is a big call because it is a Kevin Hearn song and I don't normally enjoy his songs as much as the others. But I think it's a bit dismissive to just sort of say, oh, it's just a little song about, you know, a nice time no, right, <laughs> of the theme. Yeah, there's
0: definitely a, that lament at the loss of nature in, in mm. the world. I guess, like, for me, it was it's also a theme that has been done a lot. It didn't seem like there was anything kind of new about it.
1: I guess, I felt like, I mean, it made me feel like I was there, I guess. I yeah. can sort of picture that. I know my dad had this real thing that he wanted to go to like Yellowstone before he died and he didn't mm. quite make it. And I think that there's this element of that, this awe, mm. and there's a part of you that resonates yeah. with, you know, the natural world in that way. And so to think about losing it is, is a bit more, I guess, difficult to comprehend if you have
0: that mindset. It's like that other song. Don't it always seem to go? Don't you don't. Know you <laughs> that's go a till it's gone. Big Yellow Taxi. Big Yellow Taxi, yeah. One of the best
1: songs ever. But that's what I'm saying. Like, Don't it's, you it's- just. That song <laughs> makes me clench my fist so hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> just shoot me. Put me out of my misery. Go on.
0: We're nearly there. Uh, track 13, Man We did not like. have
1: to go track by track.
0: You say this like on the second last track.
1: P.S. This is my favourite song.
0: What would you have picked as my favourite song? Um, that hoedown one. Oh. going eat my dust.
1: <laughs> you know what? Yeah. What? You can kiss my dust. <laughs> <laughs> I do love a bit of cotton I Joe. I do. <laughs> I <just laughs> say. Yeah. There's never a time when that's not
0: appropriate to bust out. <laughs> I used to lie in bed Still feel the motion Only a stone's throw away When I was a kid I, I thought it was the ocean Now I'm taking on water all of the trees beside it. Okay, so the first maybe two and a half times I listened to this, I didn't like it. Something about the I don't know, the lyrics or the vocal line. Or your I didn't personality, enjoy. yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but then it grew on me, and uh-huh. I agree with you, this is one of the best songs on the album. This is a little bit more of a story mm. and trying to express a loss of youthful naivety kind of growing up learning what things are really like when he was a child this place seemed magical and when he grew up he realized oh, it's just like a man-made lake
1: for me as a fan this takes me back to a song called when i fall which was written by ed robertson as well which was about a window washer mm-hmm. basically um which just had this depth to it that mm. i'm not a window washer right but it just took me there it made me just feel like a suicidal window washer basically And I don't know, this song too, like there's this nostalgia to it, this, that's totally relatable to anyone. Like you didn't, you don't have to be there to just really relate to this feeling of lost Mm. innocence. And I think the music is beautiful. Yeah. I can listen to this song over and over again. Like I find it really deeply resonant song that most people could probably enjoy you're talking about how they're just like complete bubblegum pop basically and super optimistic. Like this is a pretty dark song. And the one before too, like, you know, they're talking about some.
0: Yeah, I think Optimism, I was referring more to, I guess, the opening tracks and the hoedown one. (laughs) Like where you have to just.
1: What's more depressing than a hoedown?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And we've reached the end. Mm -hmm. The last song is called Internal Dynamo. (laughs) This song starts out pretty interesting. I was wondering if they actually sampled Pink Floyd in the intro. That was, and I couldn't put my finger on which song it was, but there was something that felt very familiar there. And then kind of goes through these stages, remind me of, of Dire Straits and a, a band called Air and then it takes this turn and turns into like this faux chili peppers kind of song I get the feeling that they were going for an epic song that changes genres and shifts around, but I don't think it really really works. There's just some lyrics in here that are not great, are like you wouldn't like me when I'm funky. <laughs> um, but you
1: wouldn't, so it's fair. N- yeah.
0: <laughs> I didn't quite get where this is going and I don't really think this needed to be on the album is is my Yeah. View I of don't this.
1: think you're alone on that. Yeah. Yeah. I also read somewhere someone describing this as like a song from School of Rock, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like a Jack Black kind of riff, like just um, I don't hate it. Like Mm. it is weird. It's absolutely weird. And it's the kind of song that I'm happy for the album to end on and just like honestly I don't, I'm not fully ever listening anymore and Mm -hmm. I think most people aren't. Like you I mean, I have, I guess, committed to listening to this album, but generally speaking, I don't just listen. I'm doing other things. And so I'm happy for this song to be in the background while Mm. I'm doing other things. But, yeah. And, I mean, what does that say? Like, as writers, like, they're putting all their rough stuff out there in a way. Like, it's sort of unapologetically just like, this is what I wanted to do, so here it is.
0: I don't know. There's a fine line between (laughs) rough and just (laughs) bad. Um, I don't know this, this song, a lot of the songs here, I think were unapologetic mm. and they were like, okay, so we're embracing this style and we're going to do it. And we know it's cheesy or whatever, but we're going to do it. Mm. This one, I felt like they were going for something that was a little bit more serious and they just didn't really hit it. They yeah. didn't, they couldn't hit it. They tried to go serious and all they brought was
1: cheese. Usually people it. don't complain when you bring cheese, yeah, but, um, no, I see what you're saying and I think, I don't know, I guess that's a little bit still why I love this band. They just are who they are and there's this folksy side that isn't my thing, I guess, and it's mm-hmm. very much their thing and it's what they vibe with. Like, and Because we've been watching The Coronation, we're talking about democracy and Bare Naked Ladies is a full-blown democracy. They're all songwriters in the Bare Naked Ladies, you know. They're all lead vocalists in the band. There's four of them. They've all had their turn being lead vocalists. They've all had their turn writing the songs. And I'm not sure necessarily that that's always the best mm. decision. Like I say, this is an Ed Robertson fan. So I'd be happy if the album was all written by him. And yet I do love when there's a bit of counterbalance to that, because I mean, a whole album of puns, even for me, might get old. Um, and I did love one of the Jim Cregan songs. And I did love one of the Kevin Hearn songs on this album, but then there's a lot of other stuff where it's just like a completely different genre and I'm not sure that it has its place, but who am I to say? It's their band. They do what they want.
0: All right. So let's bring it home. Oh, as they say. So Detour de Force. It's not an album I would have chosen for myself, which I guess is kind of the point, kind of, the point. of Get Wrecked. But I think, I think there were some good songs in there. There were some songs that I just hated. Like, (laughs) I'll I'll state quite simply. And
1: I have to say that I'm glad that I just put you through that. I feel like there was a bit of justice to be done here with what you put me through.
0: That's fair enough. So, you know, Flip and Good Life and which one was the one where he uh, kisses dust? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Rollout. Rollout, yes. So I I didn't like those ones. I felt they were kind of trying a little bit too hard. But in the second half of the album there's a few songs that, that have um, their moments. Paul Chambers, Man Made Lake, you know, the National Park, I think you've kind of brought me around to on a little bit. Good, And it's a bit of a ride. The positive thing, as I've said, is that they do experiment a lot and they go in and out of a lot of different genres and a different styles. Not always well, as we <laughs> saw in the last song.
1: What I think I've learned, even just from reflecting on this, because as a fan I just listen to it and just think it's the best, you know, and it's not till I... I guess, reflect back with a bit of objectivity that maybe I start to question some of the choices. But what I think I would say I've learned from this as a writer is that the songs where they're really coming from their heart, where they're coming from a real vulnerable place of like personal experience, they're the ones that seem to resonate best. You know, it seems like these ones where it's just written to be poppy Mm. or it's written for a certain line or a beat that you might sort of bop along to it but not necessarily enjoy it. And it's the ones like Man Made Lake in particular for me here together. There's just something that touches your soul, you Mm -hmm. know, and I think you feel that whether you like the music or not, there's a connection that you sort of can't deny where you've, it's like someone's just told you something really personal about (laughs) themselves and, and maybe it's an uncomfortable moment but like you felt it. Yeah. And as a human being, you respond. And I think like for writers, you know, that's a sign for us to write the things that are true, to write the things that come from our soul. And that if you do that, that you will probably connect. So I think it's safe to say that the Bare Naked Ladies are dorks, <laughs> right? <laughs> which is what I love about them. Um, but they all met at music camp. This was like during high school. And um, later – I understand that Stephen Page had some tickets to a Bob Dylan concert and he invited Ed Robertson to the concert with him and they got bored at the they concert. Got bored. They mm. got they got bored at the Bob Dylan concert uh, and so they were pretending they were like critics, like music critics <laughs> and just doing, doing a running commentary and they were inventing some fictional band names and one of them was the Bare Naked Ladies, mm. which they later took on. But I just thought it was a bit interesting because I know we'll probably be talking about Bob Dylan and his influence on lyrics.
0: Well, I guess let's talk about that because we wanted to discuss, I guess in the context of this album, songwriting, Mm. good songwriting, bad songwriting, what we can learn from songwriting as as writers. And speaking of Bob Dylan, he recently, well, recently now is me getting old, but in 2016, He won the Nobel Prize for Literature to a fair amount of controversy at the time. Scandal. It was How it wasn't dare a he? scandal. So, what are your thoughts on, on him winning the Nobel Prize?
1: I love it. Why would you be offended? I guess you'd be offended like, oh, it's super hard to write a novel and he just wrote a song. Is mm-hmm. that the idea? I don't know.
0: There are two questions there. Like, the first question is Should a singer songwriter win the Nobel Prize for Literature? I think a lot of people pointed to the fact of like the origins of literature being in, in the spoken word. Like you go back to Homer and (laughs) (laughs) not that Homer, and like there's this oral tradition of storytelling that precedes writing, where people had to memorize stories in the form of poems and recite them, and there may or may not have been music involved. Uh And that's kind of the origins of storytelling, and when. It's only with the invention of writing that it became kind of written down. But that is like what literature is, like yeah. it has the word letters in it mm. and, and it comes from um, writing. And I think Bob Dylan in his acceptance speech, which he didn't deliver himself, made a point about what is literature and kind of echoing these kinds of um, thoughts. And one of the points he made was, well, is Shakespeare was meant to be performed. So is that literature? It's not meant to be read, but who would argue that Shakespeare is not literature, which is an interesting point. And I think, you know, you have to accept that the spoken word in various forms is also a kind of, is also a form of literature. It's just um,
1: way too much overlap to really start drawing. A there is a lot of
0: overlap. And, and I mean, if poetry yeah, exactly. is literature, which it is, and part of that is performance yeah. as well. Uh, so I think you can definitely make a good argument that a singer songwriter can win and should win under certain circumstances the, the Nobel Prize. But the second question is, should Bob Dylan specifically win it? And I think there are two sides to that. One, like, yes, he's had a major contribution, a massive contribution to music and songwriting, and I guess taken it uh, to, a, to a different level. And you can't put all of this behind him, but in the early 60s, It was a very different time for songwriting and he really did take it to a different place. I think one of the criticisms was, well, yeah, on the one hand, yes, Bob Dylan, you could point to, is someone who who achieved a lot and is deserving of the prize, but at the same time, doesn't really need the prize. Like he doesn't need the money.
1: You don't go, oh, he doesn't need it. On what what criteria is that ruling people out because they're too good? No, it that doesn't make it's any sense. That.
0: I guess it's an unusual decision on that basis because you have a prize there that that often is given to someone for recognition that they may not otherwise have gotten.
1: I mean, I don't know that that's the point of it. I mean, I feel like that's a big assumption that they they're giving it to bestow recognition that was not otherwise there. I don't know that that's the point of it. It's to recognize a specific achievement. Um, So the achievement that they're recognising for Bob Dylan was for creating new poetic expressions within the great American song tradition. Mm -hmm. So that's what he won it for specifically. And I feel like, I mean, that's true. But, I mean, he himself was reflecting on why he Mm. would win it, why a a songwriter would win it. And he wasn't the first songwriter to win it. Mm -hmm. There was an Indian songwriter called, uh, and apologies if I'm mispronouncing, but Rabindranath Tagore who won it like in the early 1900s, I believe. But I think that that was more poetry, Yeah, what he was winning it for, despite the fact he was a songwriter and it was songs that he was writing poetry about. I mean it was poetry essentially that he was winning it for. So there's still a little bit of a step there to be giving it to Bob Dylan. Um, but then having said that, Bob Dylan's songs are quite narrative um, often. So Well, poetic certainly, but narrative as well and more so than maybe other musicians.
0: Yeah, look, I think if you're going to give it to anyone who's a songwriter, it would be Bob Dylan. And look, to be clear, I support the decision. I mean, it was definitely a surprise decision for a lot of people just given it had been a hundred years since a songwriter had received the award. So it's not like there was a lot of precedent for it. Mm. And it definitely got people talking.
1: I guess what I love is that it's recognising that there is a link between these things that that songwriting is is just another form of storytelling just like fiction writing or you know it's recognized fiction it's recognized non-fiction it's recognized poetry and and songwriting as well and all of these things are writing of words and so therefore they're always going to have really strong linkages and certainly very strong linkages between uh, poetry and songwriting in particular did you know hashtag fun fact that Alfred Nobel himself decided to just try his hand at fiction writing Oh. when he was...
0: In addition to making Dynamite?
1: Just in addition to all of his many special talents, just towards the end of his life, you know, in his final years, he's like, you know what, everyone's got a book in them.
0: <laughs> I'm <laughs> yeah. going to have a crack. It wasn't a children's book, was it? <laughs> oh,
1: It was a children's book. Speaking of, I shared with you, didn't I, the Jamie Oliver. Oh, yeah. Honestly. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't have enough money. Okay, if Jamie Oliver wins the (laughs) Nobel Prize, then there will be some kind of
0: uprising. Mm. (laughs) Where songwriting separates from things like poetry is that the music does often come first. Mm. Um, And in fact, the lyrics are not even essential to music. Like there's a lot of genres and styles that don't have lyrics. But so that's a big part of it is that when you're writing, even poetry – you're starting with a blank piece of paper basically mm. or an idea but when you're writing a song you have something that you that already has maybe some sort of character mm. some sort of idea some sort of emotion that comes from it that you're that you're drawing from immediately like you're not starting with nothing
1: i think that's what's interesting and distinct about songwriting from fiction writing for example And I'm sure the process for songwriting sometimes starts with the lyrics and sometimes starts with the the music. In fact, I know that, of course, that's the case. But as a listener of music, you are at least always, almost always getting the music at the same time, if not Mm -hmm. before the lyrics start. And so there's a scene setting that happens that, I don't know, maybe you get that with fiction writing from the book cover For example, like a kind of scene setting, like I know if I've got this kind of misty monotone image of a shed in the distance, it's probably some kind of thriller, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, And, you know, by the author, what you may be expecting. But I do think that's something that's a bit different about songwriting, that the music is going to set the scene for you. And if your lyrics really mismatched your music and you kind of, I don't know, catfish to the audience, it would be a really jarring experience. Like people sort of listen and expect, like if you're hearing country music, you're expecting a certain thing. Mm. Uh, if you're hearing some real boppy pop sort of opening, you're expecting what's going to happen next and priming yourself and listening or not listening on that basis too. Like switching off the radio immediately if it's not what you, what you want to hear.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I kind of agree. But so from my personal experience and from what I've also read about uh, songwriters – I mean, usually, like I would say, ninety percent of the time, the the music would come first. Um, that's a big call. I no, don't I don't think it is. I, th- I think that's that's part of the process that you that you would have to start with the music, or at least some beginnings of a song. I don't know. To I feed don't know. Ninety
1: percent is a big call. I mean, mm. I feel like for some songwriters, the lyrics would come
0: first. No, for some, but I I, I think it's a vast minority. Okay. It's much more intuitive to start with music and build from there. And okay, so I'm thinking about there's this recent documentary called Get Back by Peter Jackson was the director, and they restored a lot of Beatles footage uh, from the era of Let It Be, and it's great documentary. It's like one of the top five things I've ever seen. It's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. But in it, you see, you actually see the writing process take place. Amazing. In, in you know, basically, as it did with full video, they'd recorded all these sessions of all the band together, kind of working on these songs. So you see it, you see how he, um, how he comes up with it, and obviously he's one songwriter
1: in like two seconds.
0: Well, Joke. you know, they cut it together <laughs> and they they take stuff out. It seems like it's happening immediately, but it's such an intuitive process that's different from writing mm. uh, fiction or even poetry. It's almost like the lyrics are in there, and there is like a perfect set of lyrics or sounds that fit the music that you come up with just by like a feeling the music kind of feeling it out yeah. in a way that you know there's that that roman concept of the genius something that yeah. lives inside you that the thoughts come out that that is not yourself mm. it's very much that process where you have to turn off any kind of analytical or thinking mind that that you have and just make random sounds and like until it let sounds it come right, out kind of thing. Until you and g- to get to just some like words together, let it be <laughs> exactly <laughs> to, to get kind of a string of words out together that actually sound like they fit in the song. Yeah, and from there, what's the next line? What's the that's, next line?
1: I mean, yes, one hundred percent. That's one way to do it. I don't think that's always the way to do it, but yes, no, for sure.
0: I, I agree it's not always the, the way to do it, but I think it's, it's by far the most common way.
1: And I think that that's another thing that's distinct between songwriting and fiction writing, for example, this real collaboration. And that's not to say, like, of course, as fiction writers, you collaborate. If you have an editor, if you have beta reading friends, if you have a partner that you write with, there's a collaborative sort of experience there or say you've got a writing group that you share with or what have you, but not in the same way as music. There's this jam session kind of thing to it that Mm. I don't think we have. Like even you and I who have written together for writing comps and, you know, we're brainstorming together. It's not this jam session where it's like you add and then I add and we harmonise, you know, and I think that that's something that's really unique and special and...
0: And it's hard to find as well, even for musicians, because not every songwriting combo is actually going to come up with anything. That's it. Like you'd have to really
1: find your people yeah, Yeah. uh, to be able to do that. And the people who compliment you and compliment like what you're trying to achieve, that must be really rare to find that. And um, obviously when they do, like that's when they make wonderful things. And I think even with pop music, which gets a lot of bad rap, I guess, about being just produced but it really is a collaboration like the producers really are making it saleable and making it like this bubblegum pop that everyone's going to love like that's not just the singer who's doing that there's a lot of post-production that goes into that to make that really palatable to make that something that everyone's going to have stuck in their head for the next six weeks and I love that like I love that sort of thing and I think you love it or hate it, but it's it's true of all types of music that there is this collaborative process that creates a single whole and the songwriter, the lyricist is just one component of that.
0: Yeah, that's true. But with music as well, I think that there is sometimes a too-many-cooks effect, like if too many people are involved and sometimes you do get the most kind of clear or pure pieces when it is one primary vision, say, Mm of the song that's being supported by other people. You were saying earlier with respect to the Bare Naked Ladies about saying something that people connect with, saying Mm. something that's meaningful to you and having that then be something that's understood by a lot of people. Mm. And I think sometimes if you have – that's the reason why I don't like a lot of pop music. Like it's very generic and it's Mm -hmm. very polished to the point where it loses a lot of what may have made it interesting – To begin with. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a risk of uh, going too far down that path.
1: If we're talking about what songwriting can teach us as fiction writers, I think one thing that's probably quite similar across both is this handling of universal themes. Mm -hmm. So for songwriting, like love, like that's just such a hugely maybe overdone theme in, in songwriting. And yet, Every time there's a new song, it seems very new and fresh. And I think as writers sometimes, and I am speaking for myself here, I can get quite hung up on the idea that my idea is not original enough, that it's not, you know, it's all been done before. But these are universal themes for a reason like, and they can still be resonant and you can still have a new take on it a million times over. And so, you know, nothing's stopping these songwriters writing more and more songs about falling in love, heartbreak whatever what it's like to be in love or what it's like to not be and so similarly in writing like I guess there's just no limit to how many times we can come at these universal themes and and mm. just give it a new spin
0: so there's a quote I guess it's a quote that I always think about with songwriting but I haven't been able to find the original quote but I read it maybe 20 years ago mm-hmm. on the internet
1: paraphrase for and I've been us. thinking
0: about it and I'm pretty sure it was Paul Simon and I don't have the exact words, but it may have been someone else. He said or may not have said. Something along the lines of the the trick to songwriting is mixing high language and low language, like the colloquial with the, I don't know, the wordy or the like the Latinate kind Uh of language. And I found that that happens a lot, not only in good songwriting, uh, but also in good writing. Mm. Because if you try to be too wordy, And if you try to be too fancy, you can come across as pretty pretentious and Mm. like dry. Totally. And just having something to temper that with just gives the listener something to easily connect to.
1: So question then, because talking of the Bare Naked Ladies and the song One Week, which was basically their biggest hit, and they were mystified by that. And there is a song on this album, you know, where they talk about their history and they're like, it wasn't even funny, made money by the tonne. Mm -hmm. right talking about one week he wrote that song in like a few minutes he was literally just riffing talking about stuff that in the 90s was very relatable he talks about sting and his tantric obsession Mm -hmm. and he talks about leanne rhymes and um, (laughs) so you know but I think maybe that's what it was. Mm. Now that you're saying this, maybe that's what it was. There's these pop culture references and just real, like there's an X-Files reference. There's all this stuff that's very 90s. Mm. And then there's something a little bit more, like yep. that. You, it's kind of you can't grasp it exactly. Like you can imagine what they mean and you can interpret what they mean, but they're not laying it out for you yeah. completely. And maybe that's what connected because I think they were mystified. Like why is this suddenly this Huge hit. This isn't our best work. It's stupid. You know, yeah. it's silly. You know, Chickadee China, the Chinese chicken. I mean, that's the vague bit. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I wouldn't call it like, you know, highbrow. It's absolutely not highbrow, but there's something kind of <laughs> mystical about it. Yeah. You know, it's not laid out for you about what that means.
0: No, you, I think you, that's really important. What I think of as good songwriting does have a little bit of mystery in it and a little bit of like ambiguity. Poetry, like, I guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I feel like there's something that we as fiction writers can learn from that. And Mm. maybe it's more true in like flash fiction, for example, and we've talked about this before where you're a bit more vague and people are like interpreting Mm. and putting their own meaning on things. But like also even in novel form, like step back from it and acknowledge the fact that whoever is reading this is going to come and fill in the blanks themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I think probably in songwriting more than anywhere else and maybe – well, maybe poetry – but I guess in a more mainstream way, songwriting, that you don't actually know what they're talking about a lot of yep. the time. Like sometimes you do. Sometimes you know Miley Cyrus has a beef with Liam Hemsworth. Sometimes you know that. <laughs> sometimes you know Alanis Borissette has a beef with Uncle Joey from Full House. But other times you don't know what they're talking about <laughs> and you, all you can do is guess like I have with the Naked Ladies yep. and filled in the blanks and enjoyed it for that reason other times it's frustrating. Like, I want to know, like, I need to know what this song's about. And yet you don't. And there's something about that. Like sometimes it's the fact that you can make it your own that yeah. makes it more meaningful to you.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that's a big part of it. Leaving the listener with something to think about. Yeah. You need, just something that you can walk away from and go, well, what were you trying to say? Or Let what, me think or about what that. do
1: I want you to be trying to say? Like at I mean there's countless songs where you want to insert yourself in it. Like Mm. this is my breakup or this is my success or this is my, like you become the protagonist in the story, you know, and they allow that by leaving a lot of room for interpretation. I know there's plenty of songs that are about men that I would take on as my own song, for example, Mm. because I resonate with it. And so there's this element where I think, songwriters probably do it better than novelists sometimes of like just accepting that it's mystical and that people are going to make it their own. And yeah. and you kind of put it out in the universe and then it's out there and that people are going to consume it however they consume mm. it. And I think for novelists sometimes there's this element of still control, like I want to control the narrative. Mm. I want people to know what I'm trying to say and I want people to read it a certain way instead of really just letting it a thousand different things to a thousand different people.
0: I think songwriting is probably the only medium where you can pretty much give up any hope of the listener or the reader understanding what you're saying and it's still being okay.
1: But do you ever, like, I am sick for going on to songmeanings.com. I need to know. I want to know, like... It's important to me and, and I want to know why they wrote It's like part of their story and part of how the song came to be and I'm more often than not disappointed. Yeah. To not know. Well,
0: it's usually people kind of speculating about it.
1: Like I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> I want I want an interview with the artist every time where they mm. give me their entire backstory but no, you of don't. how they
0: – no, I really <laughs> do. It's like when a movie leaves something ambiguous or a novel and then people are like, what did you mean? And then, you know, it's whoever like created they, it is like, well, dude, that's the point is that it's up to you. I know.
1: It's like when they whip back the curtain on The Wizard of Oz. I know. Mm. But, like, I don't mind the Wizard of Oz. He's kind of funny. Anyway, I want to know is what I'm trying to say (laughs) every time. And I don't think necessarily it loses its meaning. I think you can gain meaning from knowing why a song was created the way it was. But, of course, it would limit its reach. It would limit how resonant it becomes for people. And I say all this as a control freak novelist. Mm. So this is my problem. I'm not a
0: songwriter. So my my counterpoint, I guess, is... My favourite Beatles song is I'm the Walrus and the lyrics make no sense and they're not supposed to make sense. And if you ask John Lennon, like, which many people did, what do the lyrics mean? They don't mean anything. Like they are just, they're just great lyrics for that song because they happen to sound good. They're crazy. But if you try to like speculate about who the Walrus is, (laughs) then you're kind of doing it wrong. Like you're on the (laughs) wrong track. And I think you that, just
1: gotta smoke a lot of weed. Well, you just have and to just you have sit to enjoy, there and bask in it. You have to enjoy the <laughs>
0: imagery and the craziness and the fact that it doesn't make sense. That's harder to do with a novel, like yeah. to write a novel that is just incomprehensible. A poem, you might be able to do a little bit, but there has to be something there. Um and I think it's something that only lyrics can get away with is just making zero sense. Yet being evocative mm. with the music they give you they give you something more than the music would. Like that mm. song is much better because of the lyrics. Yeah. Even though the lyrics don't really <laughs> they're not speaking to <laughs> anything in particular. They're they're just crazy.
1: It's like a just an abstract painting. Yeah. Like it's yeah, it's adding colour, but mm. not in a way that's creating a cohesive whole
0: so you recommended Detour de Force. Mm-hmm. And that means it's my turn to recommend something for you. So I'm not gonna go with one movie. I'm gonna go with three movies. Okay. But I think the three movies that I think that you'll enjoy. I enjoyed them, which is like doesn't mean anything. No. That's alarming um, if anything. (laughs) Yeah. So it's the the trilogy. By director Richard Linklater, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight. Ethan Hawke, right? Ethan Hawke. and get on board with Ethan Hawke. And one of the characters is a writer from memory, so there's that. It's a love story, it's a romance story, uh, over three parts, and it's a rare trilogy where I think all three parts are, are equally strong. Okay. And they deal with different stages of the relationship. Right. Can't wait. And that brings us to the end of another episode. A reminder, if you haven't already, which you should have, go to the website <laughs> notquiterightpodcast.com and register for the Not Quite Right Prize for Flash Fiction. And until next time, right on. Right on. Thank you for listening to Not Quite Right. If you'd like to reach us via email or follow us on social media, you can find all the links on our website, notquiterightpodcast.com. That's W R I T E. And if you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you could leave us a five star review on your favourite podcasting app. Something doesn't seem quite right.
1: With an opening of the robes, King Charles is just flashing the congregation as we speak.
0: A little black bra with those tassels <laughs> and the nipples <laughs> and black panties with suspenders. You just
1: turn to the camera, a cheeky little shimmy.
0: It's a very somber moment. <laughs> the choir boys have seen it all before. <laughs>